electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Last Call, Elon Musk's AI debut is startup unveiling their first product tomorrow. We're going to bring you a special preview, Revisionist History. What is really behind a flurry of revisions to the monthly jobs number? We'll dig into it. Some wants down and out stocks are roaring back, but Herb Greenberg is back and he's got a big warning. Bezos hits the beach. Wait till you hear how much he is saving by moving to Florida. Plus, It may be the surprise secret to getting workers back into the office. We'll tell you what it is. And if it's Friday, it's time to ask, can I beat the books? I've got my NFL picks for the weekend. You tell me where I'm wrong. All that much more across the hour. So get ready because last call is up right now. All right, hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Whether you are still working out west, maybe at a happy hour in Houston, or maybe enjoying a party with friends in Pennington, New Jersey, thanks for joining us. First up on Last Call on this Friday, a massive week for your money. Wall Street closing with a bang. The Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, everything having their best weekly runs this year. And the Mighty Mites finally joining together with the band. Small cap Russell 2000 seeing its best week since February of 2021. That's right. Small caps, best week in two and a half years. The gains now put the S&P 5% from this year's high. Remember, we were in a technical correction just last week. What a bounce. All told, 146 stocks in the S&P 500 had their best week of the year. That is oddly specific and amaze your friends with that stat. Now, one of the names that did really well this week, Goldman Sachs. They were up 13% this week, 4% today, 13% on the week, best week for Goldman in more than three years. But what exactly is driving the rally? Well, probably it has to do with a move down in interest rates, among other things. Ten-year yield fell below 4.6% today. Remember, we touched 5% just two weeks ago. And here is also something curious that happened this week. Okay, there's a lot going on here. It looks like my EKG right before the show. But this comes from Bespoke Investment Group. And it goes back 30 years. And this is short positioning in the market. So when the yellow line is up, that means there's a lot of people shorting or betting against the stock market. And what you can see is we've had a huge number, bigger than even the financial crisis, of people betting against equities. So guess what? That likely flipped, and some people probably got their faces ripped off. So let's dig a little bit in to round out the week. Graciously staying late on a Friday, Stone X chief market strategist Catherine Rooney Vera and Veritas financial managing partner Greg Branch. Greg, I'll start with you because you've been a little more negative on the market and it was looking like a good bet. Then came this week, the short stuff we just showed people. You think this was just kind of a 
just a technical bounce, a short covering rally that doesn't really add much? Or is it maybe the start of a turn higher? I don't think it's the start of a turn, Brian. I do think it was the perfect storm for us to go into a risk on vibe. As you mentioned, the yield has come in. I can make an argument that that will be temporary. The quarters come in much better than expected. You know, right now we're almost at 4%, whereas the expectations were for 30 or 40 basis points of contraction. That's been better than expected. And the jobs number, if you squint, you can kind of disguise that as bullish. It is one data point of a sequence. And I often encourage people not to look at the one data point, but the perfect storm, uh, along with the Fed not raising rates. Yeah, we, well, we're talking about the jobs number later in the show. I didn't think it was that good, and there's a couple reasons, but, but that's a different segment. Catherine Rooney-Vera, what do you think was behind this, this sudden turn? I mean, for, for small caps to have their best week in two and a half years, that stands out. Yeah, and it, it's partly a relief rally. I think Greg alluded to it. Powell sounded uh, pretty somewhat dovish, at least the market took it as such. Um, the non-farm payrolls report show that the labor market is finally turning, and the markets got pretty jazzed that the Fed may not cut in December. Uh, sorry, hike in December, but may cut going into 2024. The Treasury said they would slow the pace of uh, quarterly debt sales. So that was good from a supply perspective. Mm -hmm. But what I'm telling my clients at Stonex, uh, Brian, is that because bond yields decline or drop, that doesn't necessarily mean that equities should continue to rise, especially if we're going into, especially if bond yields are dropping because we're going into recession. So I think we really have to come down to, is the soft landing, which is currently discounted into the markets, reality? I think it's a historically low probability event. I think the biggest risk to the to the bond markets, which I have an overweight overweight recommendation on fixed income, the biggest risk to that yeah. call is that this positive correlation maintains itself between equities and fixed do you, income. Do you think the two-year bond, uh, back to you, Catherine, do you think the two-year bond bear market is over? Did it die this week? I think it's a really good bet to to buy um, buy rates, uh, especially in the short end of this. I think the Fed is done, and it's more likely than not that we do enter into a, a hardish landing going into 2024. In which case, the Fed probably does have to cut, but it's not going to cut cut unless something breaks, Brian. It's just not going to happen. So something has to break. We have mm. to see the labor market roll over further or consumption contract. We had Greg. We had Bill Gross on last night. I don't know if you caught it. No offense if you didn't. And you know, I. I brought up a chart from Apollo Investments, and based on earnings yield and the 10-year yield, a little wonky, Apollo said they believed it was the most overvalued that the stock market has been in 20 years. Bill agreed with that. Basically said, I just, I don't see why stocks should be valued at 18, 19 times earnings, probably more like 15. He compared it to, you know, an old Oldsmobile versus a new one. It's still the same car. Do you think the stock market is the most overvalued it's been in 20 years? I won't go that far, Brian, but but as you know, I've been bearish throughout this year. I did not expect to be, uh, but I have been. And, and it's really a simple case for me uh, based on three pillars, which I continue to monitor. I've been higher and longer than most. And while the market has had to capitulate to my higher, recall that my terminal rate was 6% uh, over a year ago. And we're now at five and a half, so we're not far from that. My longer is longer. And where the, one of the few areas where I disagree with Catherine is I don't foresee any rate cuts next year. And so my longer is longer than, than, than most. Uh, in terms of the estimates, consensus is coming around to my view. And I think this is probably what underlies some of Bill's opinion. 
I have long said this year, I don't see how we get to 8% growth in the fourth quarter, and I don't see how we get to 12% growth in earnings in 2024. Well, again, consensus yeah. is starting to capitulate to that view. We're, consensus is down almost 50% in five weeks, but we've yet to really touch 2024. It's really hard to for earnings to grow and for us to have a positive stock market in the wake of significant downward revisions, particularly if you don't believe, as I do, that the Fed is quite done yet. They haven't indicated that. And when we have GDP growth of 5% and job openings still at 9.5 million and continuing to add a healthy number of jobs, I just don't see how their job okay. is done yet. Well, it's it's Friday. So we want to be in like a good mood and go into the weekend with some opportunity. Greg, I'll start with you, Catherine, the same. Regardless of where we are in the market, how do we make money right now? Greg, can you give us an idea? And Catherine, I'll ask you the same question. Let's do a little Opportunity Friday as we as we say goodbye. Sure. I think where you need to put the work is in those sectors where the margins are expanding and they have the secular tailwinds. You just named one of those sectors in the financial. Uh, it might be a little bit early. I want to see them get through some of the provisioning that I know that they have to do. And we haven't really seen that in a meaningful way yet. But there's value there. We have some bellwethers trading at less than tangible book. That's always a great time to buy, particularly those money center banks when we see them at that level of valuation. The net interest margin environment should get stronger mm -hmm. as the inversion on the yield curve lessens to some degree. Obviously, there's some names in tech as well that have roared back this week. But if you're attached to a secular tailwind like AI in a true way, in a way that you're making meaningful money on it this year and next, or cloud, mm -hmm. or cybersecurity, these are things with certain demand, secular tailwinds, and they should provide us relative earnings growth, even though I think the macro will okay. deteriorate. Catherine, what about you? How can we make some money going forward? Well, I agree that uh, the equity risk premium is really poor right now. The only place in the developed world that it is positive and looks good is in Japan. So I would prefer that Japan over Europe or the U.S. Equities look ridiculously rich versus fixed income. I agree that fixed income is looking very cheap, I would argue, as well in decades. So I like fixed income, long fixed income over equities, agency mortgage-backed securities, CMBS, relative value looks very attractive there. U.S. Treasuries at the short end, even in the middle of the curve, five years I think are attractive longer duration is starting to get more attractive if um if you are in the recession camp then you probably would agree with that and in equities late cycle stage a sector so those are energy we're talking utilities staples healthcare and insurance companies would be my top picks at this juncture there we go Catherine Rooney Vera Greg Branch appreciate it it's late on a Friday have a great weekend both of you thank you Thank All right, Thanks, by Brent. the way, so we asked you out there on the Twitterverse or the Xverse, whatever it is, I asked a pretty simple question. Three months from today, and this was two days ago, but whatever, three days, three months from today, the S&P 500 will be higher, basically flat or lower. You guys are split. 45% of you said it'll be higher in three months. 17% said it's going to be flat. 38% said it's going to be down. Listen, it takes buyers and sellers to make a market. I think given those results, we got all of them. The flat people, they just kind of hang around. They're the guys at the party that don't talk to anybody, but are there till the end. Who knows? Anyway, there you go. Most of you, a slight majority, think it's going up. All right, in the meantime, let's get to your studs and duds of the week. And there were some big moves both ways. The biggest winners this week, Paramount Global, up 28%. All the Star Trek reruns, who knows? Generac up 26% and Insulet 23%. But the hold your nose and take the pain decliners of the week, Paycom down 33% on semiconductor, down 18.5. And apparently 
Online dating is less of a thing these days because Match Group, which owns most of the dating sites, down 13.5% this week. All right. We are just getting started on this Friday. And up ahead, could it really be a chat GPT killer? Elon Musk making a huge leap into AI tomorrow. We'll preview the high stakes. Plus, down we go. What is really behind the flurry of downward revisions to the monthly jobs number? We're putting on that old tinfoil hat. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, could the actor's strike finally be coming to an end? Variety reporting Hollywood Studios delivering an offer they hope will seal the deal, called an offer they can't refuse. The actors have been on strike for 113 days. The Alliance of Motion Pictures previously warned that if a deal could not be reached by this week, certain shows could be canceled and there'd be further delays in the 2024 movie release schedule. Next up, Mark Zuckerberg tore his ACL. He just completed surgery to replace it. That is him posting on Instagram that the injury came while he was training for a mixed martial arts fight. He does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That is, yuck. We're going to have to wait even longer, apparently, for a billionaire brawl between Zuckerberg and Elon Musk because Zuckerberg, bring that back up again. Listen, I don't wish that on anybody. Tearing your ACL? That has got to hurt. Mark Zuckerberg laid up probably for a while. Get better, Zuck. Anyway, speaking of Elon Musk, he announced he is launching his new XAI technology for, quote, select groups tomorrow. He gave no other details, as he tends to do. It followed an appearance that he gave at a landmark artificial intelligence summit in the UK where he spoke with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. There you go. Now, Musk did not shy away from his predictions on how AI could transform the workforce and the world. Here's what he said. We are seeing the most disruptive force in history here. There will come a point where no job is needed. You can have a job if you want to have a job for sort of personal satisfaction, but the AI will be able to do everything. It's both good and bad. Um, One of the challenges in the future will be how do we find meaning in life if if you have a magic genie that can do everything you want. All right, a little, little existential there, but let's bring in Gerber Kawasaki, President and CEO Ross Gerber, on all this, because you're a longtime Musk, Muskian, Musk, Musk, Musk fan, Musk rat, I don't know. Anyway, Ross Gerber, uh, Elon Musk and AI, like what is, I, 
I understand Microsoft and Google and everybody else. What's the Musk plan for artificial intelligence? Well, I think that's what we're waiting to find out because we've seen some great examples from Microsoft and, and Google and, and some of the other, you know, really quick, I think, uh, applications that are being built for AI, just like this is. Assuming it's around a large language model, I think it's just about the way the information is being given to us in a way that I think he feels will be much more accurate, fair, and safe for users. And, and we've seen that with um, chat and with Google where certain topics, like we just punched up some cannabis information the other day and it like Google like spit out the information and then it blocked it. And we were like, dude, did that just happen? Like, you know, it, it won't talk about cannabis, you know? So I, I think that AI and there's lots of positives and I do think it's a transformational moment. And, and just like Elon, I think there needs to, to really be some good guardrails around it. EVs, space travel, Neuralink, Starlink, probably other stuff. Is Elon Musk X, of course, too powerful? Um, too powerful? I don't know. I, I, I think Ross, you know, I literally Ross, I literally have progressive friends who are terrified that like he controls the car market, the space market, the 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 global, you know, satellite internet market, Neuralink. He controls the messaging on Twitter slash X. I mean, they're literally terrified that Elon Musk could take over the world. Well, you know, fortunately, at least with my interactions with Elon for a decade, you know, I don't think his ambitions are per se negative. Well, he, you know, certainly maybe his opinions I don't agree with. But but I, I think in some ways we're in better hands with him than many of the other tech titans like the guy with the broken knee you just put up. So, you know, I'll take Musk over Zuckerberg, you know, but I think I think, you know, I do drive a Tesla and use a Starlink and use X and and, you know, people will like send me messages. They're pissed at Elon and this and that. And I go, you know, he's probably sees all of it, you know, but I kind of think that they all see it all anyways. And you can say this about Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, you know. Yeah. He knows a lot about us, knows where we drive, how we drive, what we search for on the Internet. Maybe Neuralink, he'll just know what we're thinking quickly. UAW, they got a massive win. Sean Fain, UAW president, he wants to unionize Tesla. Well, I think that goal might create an even quicker drive by Elon to build auto-building robots, and that's what you know, Tesla's building right now are robots that can build cars. So I think if the UAW really pushes hard enough against Elon, he might be really motivated to make robots to replace these jobs. So I, I don't think that that's a reality for Tesla. Tesla's a technology company, and, and I think they treat their workers pretty well, and people prefer to have a free market in California mm -hmm. with stock options and, and the upside. You know, many Tesla employees are very, very wealthy because they've been with the company for over five years. Yeah, yeah. It's the stock side that you got to think about. Uh, Ross Gerber, yeah. appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Be well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All you right. too. Sure thing. All right, on deck. The government revising job growth down again and again and again. What is really going on? We're going to put on the old tinfoil hat next. And speaking of jobs, Here's a little quiz. What is the top thing that would get workers to come back 
to the office? What's the one thing most people answered a survey they would want to fully come back in? Think about it. We'll tell you coming up. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, we got a little bonus Friday RBI for you. Today is about returning to the office. Now, earlier in the show, well, just like a second ago, we asked you what is the most thing, the number one thing, I would help nudge people back to the building. Well, you probably guessed that it was money. And if you did guess that, well, you'd be right. But specifically, workers want their companies to cover one thing, commuting costs. In a study from Owl Labs, 38% of hybrid workers said that covering commuting costs would be the top perk to get them back into the office. More privacy came in as the next most important perk at 34%. And believe it or not, clothes was third. 24% of people said they just want to basically wear whatever they want. That's a terrible idea. Anyway, why is commuting topping the list? Because it's expensive, and it's gotten more expensive since the pandemic. Owl Lab says workers spend an average $51 per day when they go into an office, which includes this breakdown, $16 on lunch, $14 on commuting, $13 on breakfast and coffee, and $8 on parking. That means full-time office workers are spending $1,020 per month to commute, while hybrid workers spend less than half of that. And those costs, by the way, don't even include things like higher car insurance rates or car repairs or new tires. But all that aside, it may not matter because about half of hybrid workers surveyed say they believe their company is going to go fully back to the office, you know, five days a week, most likely next year. And they may be right. Resume Builder said that 90% of companies will return to the office by the end of next year. doesn't mean five days a week, but just push you back in at some point. And 28% of companies said they will threaten to fire anyone who does not comply. So random but interesting that next year could be a doozy for millions of you working from home and maybe start saving now for some new clothes. All right, sticking with the topic of jobs, Today's jobs report confirming the labor market might be loosening up just a bit. Payrolls did rise by about 150,000 in October, but that was slightly below expectations. Unemployment ticking up a touch to 3.9%, the highest level since January of last year. Also, the employed series in the household survey part of the data showed a monthly jobs drop of 348,000. And both the size and participation rate in the labor force both fell as well. More big investors are getting nervous about the economy. If you missed it, here's PIMCO co-founder Bill Gross on last night's show. In terms of employment and in terms of jobs and in terms of, uh, you know, weakness in uh, many of the indicators, I I think we're going to see November and December be below the line as opposed to above the line. Yeah, below the line. There you go. It's not just the frontline data and investor outlook either painting a little bit of a gloomier picture. Since January, eight out of the previous nine jobs reports have been revised down, 
which is odd because usually you get revisions both up and down. It's pretty random. One month they revise up, the other month they revise down. So could the job market be slowing down more than it initially seems? Let's take it to our panel. Joining us is GLJ Research Founder and CEO Gordon Johnson, an American enterprise economist and policy analyst and CNBC contributor, Jimmy Pethokoukas. And if you can't see me, guys, uh, I'm wearing my tinfoil hat. I put That's the tin, I, I had to put the tin the electromagnetic rays <laughs> and, and all and all the government revisions are not going to get us now. Okay, enough with that. You get the point, Jimmy. I'm not saying anything weird's going on, but it is weird that it's eight out of the nine months going down. Should we just view it as random, or is there something behind this inside the data? Well, I think if you look at the year. I would tend to write it off as randomness and a volatile number that's only really gotten more volatile uh, over the years. But I think if you look at the numbers more recently, look, if we were in an economy that was transitioning from growth to very slow growth or recession, I think you would expect to see even more volatility in the data. And that's my concern, is that is, is, not what, is not what the data said back in February or March. What it, what it said the past few months and what it said, those revisions of the past few months, it's one of several indicators telling to me that the worst is yet to come. You know, Gordon, it's like, forget about the jobs number, okay? I'm sure you and Jimmy and all of our viewers and listeners right now they get billing errors, right? Their healthcare provider, the cell phone provider, they get billing errors. And I, it was a New York Times study like a couple years ago that 98% of billing errors were billing errors to the upside. And if it's all perfectly random, half of billing errors, billing errors should be lower. They should underbill you, but that never, it never works. So when I see eight out of nine being revised down, it's not tinfoil hat time. Here you go. But I do think there's something weird going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a good point. I just want to highlight a couple things. Look, these economists work very hard. I don't think they're being nefarious. In April, no, no, um, no, no, one's February, no, no one is suggesting that as well. I think it's some sort of we some problem either with the data or calculating the data. Right. Let me explain that. So I just want to highlight in April, February, and August, in the first month after the data was reported, it was a rise significantly higher. There's three reasons we believe the data is uh, very volatile. Number one, you have, and I'm looking at my notes here. In times of recession, a lot of companies don't respond to the survey. So when companies don't respond to the survey, the government assumes that their response is similar to the people that do. People that do respond typically respond positively. That's one reason why the data is coming in more positive than expected. Number two, there was a recent tax law that required gig economy workers to file for employee tax IDs. Given that they're doing that in mass, it makes it look like there's been a surge in jobs and business creation when there hasn't. And number three, the system in place right now that essentially Volcker put in place was put in place with a great moderation. It works when things are, 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 are normal, when things are smooth. But when you have a significant shift like with COVID, we're seeing now this, this smoothing of the data doesn't work well. So I don't yeah. think this is, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but there are a lot of people on FinTwit, and I've heard a lot of people say this. It's not that the economists and the government are being nefarious. It's just these factors are making the data very hard to track accurately. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. We're just having a little bit of fun with it, Jimmy. But when I also look yeah. at government, other government data, which shows me that the percentage of working Americans who are working more than one job is not just at an all-time high, but it's much higher 
than it's ever been. And I've met a lot of people that are like, I'm an Uber driver on the weekends and I've got this business during the week. I wonder how strong the job market really is. And I wonder if that also has something to do with these revisions, because there are so many people working multiple jobs. Listen, you know, some of the some of the problems Gordon just mentioned are longstanding problems, particular sort of the non-response rate in good times and bad times. But I think what I would focus on, if I were an investor, I would focus on the direction of these revisions. And I would assume that the revisions are saying something meaningful about the economy right now. And I think the meaningful thing they're saying is, look out, this economy is slowing. Now, you, we, we can talk about the degree of that slowing, the degree of these revisions. But I think that is the massive takeaway that something seems to be changing. And, and I realized that wasn't so long ago we were buoyant about that GDP report. I'm not sure we're going to be so yeah. buoyant about a future economic reports, GDP or jobs. And how does the labor force participation rate, which continues to drop, Gordon, fall into that? I know the unemployment number, it's under 4%. That's great. But I, it, there's a lot of millions of people have just vanished from the workforce. Yeah, that's a great point. And I agree with what the, with, with the other guests just said. I think what's very important here, I saw a segment you did yesterday with uh, Steve Leisman, and he talked about how we also have to factor in the fact that there was a UAW strike. So that may have added to uh, the weakness in the data. That, that'll get better next, next print. But if you think about it, right, core services PCE exploded higher in the most recent read. That was very bad for the Fed's fight against inflation. Uh, 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 CPI inflation on a month-to-month -month basis is now up three months in a row. So while the market is reacting to you know the the, the weekly and the hourly uh, uh, payroll data coming in positive, if you're looking to fight inflation, it's all going to boil down to what happens with that those key inflation reads, the PCE and the CPI, and, and the most recent mm -hmm. reads those were negative. So I think we still got to focus there. I don't think we we beat this inflation fight yet. There we go. Gordon Johnson, Jimmy Pethokoukis. Guys, late again on a Friday. We appreciate it. Thank you both very much. And be sure to check out Jimmy Pethokoukis' Substack. It's called Faster Please. It's excellent. All right, still ahead. Once trash stocks suddenly shimmering, but Herb Greenberg says investors beware. And he'll go where few dare. I didn't even intend to rhyme, but it happens all the time. And we're back after this. All right, here's a sully side up for you on this Friday. Your exclusive top weekly insider buys is back. Remember, there are quiet periods around earnings. We can't do it then. There's no data. So now that that's winding down, we are back. The five biggest insider buys of the week brought to us by our friends at Verity Data. Here we go. A board member, Delta Airlines, buying 307000 worth of that stock. Also, he's the former CEO of Procter & Gamble. Number four this week, regional bank M&T. The CFO buying another 555,000 shares worth that adds to an earlier buy this week or this year. Number three, a name we talked about earlier this week, Align Technologies, maker of the Invisalign CEO Joe Hogan, who made a windfall during COVID, buying nearly a million dollars worth of the stock. It's been crushed down nearly 30% in the past week. So maybe buying on the dip there. Top two now, Lowe's, not the home improvement chain. This is the hotel and other conglomerate. More than a million dollars in Lowe's, ticker L, statched up by a new board member. And the biggest insider buy of the week is another bank. A board member, Brian Daniels, buying one and a half million worth of fifth, third bank. So there you go. Those are your top insider buys of the week. Delta Airlines, M&T, Align Tech, Lowe's, L-O-E-W-S, and fifth, third. 
We'll keep an eye on them, and we'll see you for it next Friday. All right, those are not your top insider buys. But meantime, we just gave you a little tease. Uh, A rather interesting bunch of stocks getting a nice pop this week. There they are. Carvana, Shopify, Peloton, Roku, all soaring this week. Some of those have been some of the most beaten up stocks in the markets this year. Carvana down nearly 40% in three months. Peloton about the same, though three of those are also up on the year. In other words, it's been a very volatile run for some of these stocks, right? Big run at the beginning of the year, then a collapse. Now they're coming back. And I guess that's a good thing if you're a trader, but probably not if you're a long-term investor. Are these stocks or any others like them getting it worth getting involved with? Let's find out in a new segment that we are calling sort of Dumpster Diving with her. <laughs> By the way, that's the trash can in the back of CNBC. All right, joining us now is the, is, is the editor of Herb Greenberg on the street on Substack. Herb Greenberg, CNBC contributor. Did you know that was coming, Herb? I did not. No, I did not. I did not. Well, we'll, we'll talk. Uh, but, off, I, but we'll talk. Off yes. It's okay. <laughs> is there any of those stocks or others left earlier this year in the dumpster of Wall Street worth 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 poking around? Well, you know, I'm sure there are some that haven't gone up quite the amount these have. I mean, look, Lemonade up 80% just in the past five days. You've had these crazy moves. You know, I have my own little, over in my Substack, I have my own little, what I call stocks to avoid list. And what's very interesting is those stocks, which aren't necessarily in the news as much as some of these others, the ones you just pointed out, they haven't moved quite as much as these others yet. Because possibly just because people haven't been paying attention to them, they'll start to get swept up in the very end of this. But I think one thing you have to look at here, Brian, is that people have to understand what's really going on. I mean, you know, you have a a market that's been flooded with liquidity on this crisis. You have the earnings. You have the interest rate uh, possibility. Interest rates don't rise. So suddenly, you know, everything changed overnight. And when I say everything changed overnight, I was about to write something the other day. I actually wrote it on it, I just never published it, where I said that, you know, it was interesting that th- until this earlier this week, everything with earnings had to be pitch perfect. And if it wasn't pitch perfect, you know, earnings were as expected or guidance was as expected. They just, they took them out, not just to the woodshed, they bludgeoned them. And then overnight, literally overnight, that changed. And so now here we are. But the important part of all this, Brian, is that nothing has changed for most of these companies other than their stocks have gone up. And when stocks like these move that fast, that far, just as when sometimes they move down too fast, too far, you know what's coming. And that's where I think, you know, investors have to be very careful right now. Stocks, and I'm not picking on the companies, okay? But Peloton, it, we know what happened to the stock. It's just, it's stats and data. People can leave it to themselves. By the way, it's a great product. I don't use it as much as I should, but I probably should. But that doesn't mean it's a good stock. And when I see these stocks leading the market, I know your red flag, your tinfoil hat is going up. No, I'm sitting here, but look, there's, it's very interesting because if you go back just a week, so I look at this fear greed index by my friends over at uh, a service called My Longbow. And everybody has their, their, their fear greed indexes. That's a technical, a technician's wonder. You know, they, they've been using that for, year, for years. They use 12, they, they call this the doomsday dozen. They use 12 metrics. 
And it's right now, as of yesterday, it was 60. But if you go back to last Monday, it was 40. And if you want to look in the past and mm -hmm. see how low that thing has gone, you know, just back in March, it was 38. So you can see that, you know, the fear and the greed right now, look how fast it swung. And it's again, it's brought these companies along and people will start to forget. They have short memories and they forget that, look, you buy really good companies. If you trade, you can trade these and speculate and have all the fun you want. But just remember, yeah. you're getting caught up in the hubris of this moment. It's trading. It's not invested, and it's fine. And there's a difference. Herb, we got it. We got it. Just we're going to let you go. But before we, we got to run. Can we run the animation again? We have to see this. <laughs> there you go. Herb Greenberg. We'll see you again. I'm not yeah, sure we'll see that animation again, but we'll see Herb Greenberg again. Coming up, a rough road for driverless cars. Deirdre Bosi has a must-see investigation and involves a guy kicking and spitting on her driverless car while she was in it. It's next. Well, apparently driverless taxis not yet ready for prime time. You remember last week we spoke with Deirdre Bosa about a scary experience she had riding in a driverless car. Well, she's back now with a more full look, look at why there is a lot of work still to be done. Deirdre. Yeah, so I'm going to put this more in context. The promise and chaos of self-driving cars, that has been on display in San Francisco streets for a few months. The two major players, they're GM's Cruise and Alphabet's Waymo. I went for a ride-along to see for myself on both those robo-taxis, and I talked to execs from across the industry. But it was definitely in the backseat of that cruise ride that I had the most dramatic experience. We just went around a car with its emergency lights on. Um, it did it pretty smoothly, but now we're, ooh, now we're behind a car that's trying to park. He got out. Oh my gosh. And he, he kicked it. I'm gonna put up my window. Uh, so this guy just kicked the car and now we're calling support. This is stressful. Oh my gosh. Oh, he just spat on the car. Those were the most stressful few moments I've had in a car in recent memory. As the number of driverless cars on the road increased, so too did the problems. There have been 75 plus incidents, and so to me it's like playing Russian roulette. We are the last line of defense for most people. Seconds matter. If it takes us a minute to go around the block because there's a vehicle in the way, that puts the people in that building more at risk, it puts that building more at risk, and it puts my firefighters more at risk. We have a hotline for first responders. That's one of the things we built in response to feedback. So both police and fire department can call a number and we can very quickly do things like relocate a vehicle that's in the way. Data about every collision is reported both at the state and federal level. We've shown video footage with first responders and things like that when it's appropriate, but that's, that's got to be uh, very carefully controlled in order to maintain the privacy of our customers. We tried out Waymo as well. While crews had more robo-taxis on city streets, Waymo has been testing longer. Both companies say they've logged more than one million driverless miles. That's interesting. It took the opportunity to squeeze through a pretty narrow space and did so fine. Actually doing better than the drivers around us. And I gotta say, one word to describe this ride, unremarkable. We didn't get honked at once. There was one incident where I thought maybe we cut someone off. It was uncertain, but it's been really smooth. 
Now, what happened to us in the cruise robo-taxi, that was nothing compared to the incident that led to the suspension of all cruise operations in California and raised a lot of questions about the future of this industry. On the flip side, though, Brian, if they can get this right, and Waymo, as you saw, feels a lot further ahead, there's a promise of safer and less congested roads. This is part of a larger collaboration with our digital team. Andrew Evers, Laura Batchelor did an amazing job putting this together. So be sure to check out the whole piece on CNBC's YouTube channel, and CNBC.com. So because road rage, dude, like, by the way, raging at a driverless car, kicked the front end of your car, that triggered the car to think that it had been in a wreck. Exactly. And so you had someone kind of pilot in to the vehicle and ask if everything was mm-hmm. okay. But I think the problem is, is that it needed a human touch. A robo-taxi didn't know what to do in this scenario. It just kind of stopped behind the car. Yeah. And that's sort of been the basis of some other incidents. It doesn't know what to do in these situations. Robo-taxi confused. Dear Drabosa, thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Meantime, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos will not be sleepless in Seattle any longer because he's going to be sleeping in Florida. And it's going to cost the state of Washington big time. Wealth reporter Robert Frank joining us now. Robert Bezos, Florida. Wow. Yeah, sunshine, lower taxes, what's not to like? Jeff Bezos posting on Instagram last night that he is leaving Seattle after nearly 30 years, and he's going to move to Miami to be, as he said, near his parents and his rocket launches up there in Cape Canaveral. But he's also going to save a fortune in taxes, which will cost Washington a fortune. Last year, Washington State passed a new tax on capital gains, long-term capital gains, will be taxed at 7%. Now, in 2021, Bezos sold $10 billion worth of Amazon stock. That was right before that tax took effect. So he would have owed $700 million in state taxes. He hasn't sold a single share since this tax took effect last year. Washington lawmakers, they've also tried to pass a wealth tax twice. They want to impose a 1% tax on all financial assets. So Bezos would owe about $1.6 billion this year if that were to pass. Instead, he can use all that tax savings to build his new beachfront estate. He bought two properties in Indian Creek down there in Miami for over $140 million. Brokers say he's going to tear down the two existing mansions, build a brand new one. And his friendly new neighbors include Tom Brady, Carl Icahn, Jared Kushner, and Ivanka Trump. And I'm sure all of them will now get better and faster Amazon delivery. Super super prime uh, delivery. Quickly, wealth taxes. Politicians, I know they don't read economic history. I get it. Wealth taxes have never worked. Ask Europe. They don't work. They they don't work, and many say they're unconstitutional. But, Brian, many thought that the state of Washington also, which basically the Constitution forbids any kind of income tax, They got around it with this capital gains tax on income above $250,000. So those who say a wealth tax is impossible, I mean, we see it at the state level being proposed in many states, including California, Washington, New York, almost every year. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it appear again at the federal level. We should have a wealth tax on politicians that get wealthy despite making almost no money. Robert Frank, thank, thank you. I had nothing and now I'm worth $100 million. All right, on deck, your favorite segment of the week, Fan Duels. Lisa Kearney and I walked through three NFL betting picks this weekend. Where are we wrong? Stick around and tell us.
All right, Friday fun with our segment, Can Brian Beat the Books? Joining us again is Lisa Kearney of FanDuel. She'll like or dislike my picks and offer up her valuable insight. All the lines come courtesy, of course, of FanDuel. Lisa, hi. Welcome back. We're a little tight. We're going to dive right in here. Okay, this, the first pick is my least favorite one. I thought about going with the Commanders plus three, but I went with the Bears plus eight. I can't believe I'm saying it. Bears plus eight and a half at the Saint. I know. Following the money, you're getting a bigger percentage of the bets. The Bears are getting a little better. Tyson Badgett, go Shepard University. Maybe a little bit of an upgrade over Justin Fields. I don't know. Eight and a half's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Listen, this is a challenging uh, matchup for this for this Bears offense on the road. You mentioned Badgett. He's getting the start again. Uh, the rookie's in a tough spot. The Bears have the seventh worst passing offense in the league up against the Saints, who have the seventh best passing defense in the league. They're holding opponents to less than 190 passing yards per game. And listen, their defense doesn't do them a real solid. They're allowing more than 27 points per game. It's Ooh. 28th in the league. Solely, the Saints are going to cover that eight and a half at home. Okay, Tyson Badgett's dad, one of the world's best arm wrestlers, by the way. That's the entire basis of my pick. All right, pick two. <laughs> Texans, three-point favorites at home against Tampa Bay. This should be higher. I think it's an overreaction to Texans' loss against the Panthers. Tampa's fading. They've only scored 37 points in their last three games. C.J. Stroud is good. And by the way, Lisa, Tampa Bay is lucky. They've recovered six fumbles this season. They got they too much luck factor. Texans minus three. Yeah, you know what? I am with you. Baker Mayfield is playing through that knee contusion. And also, by the way, he's really working with a almost non-existent run game. Listen, the Bucs are the only team to average less than 80 rushing yards per game over the last two seasons. And now they go on the road and face a Texans defense that's very stout yeah. against the run. They're holding uh, opponents to 3.6 yards per rush. Um, you know, and then you look yeah. at Tampa Bay's defense. I think that the Texans are going to get a lot of momentum, especially because of how frequently they blitz. Did you know CJ Stroud has the fourth best passer rating at 117 when blitzed? I think I'm with you. I like I like I, it. I like it. I did Texans not, I did not, I did not so know. Bad. Pick three is my favorite. Vikings getting three and a half at the Falcons. Falcons are awful. Kirk Cousins, I know, is out, but so what? Three and a half? Like, the Falcons are near the bottom of every single category. Offense, defense, special teams, uh, uniform configurations, everything. I just like the Val I love the I love the Vikings. No. I no. Know. Listen, this storyline is going to say battle of the backup QBs. That's not what it is, Sully. You know that. Yes, Taylor Heineke is making his first start for the Falcons, but he has 25 career starts under his belt. He's more than capable of coming in and just managing this offense, okay. certainly better than Desmond Ritter did it. Uh, you know, and for we the Vikings, what do we have in the quarterback? We're going to find out. You know that I dislike One of us. The Falcons will cover at home. Got to go. Lisa, thank you. One of us is going to be right and wrong. I love it. Lisa, have a great weekend. Folks, we'll see you Monday. Take care. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.